Last Sunday morning from Matthew 12, verse 1 through 13, we, we noticed that the events of this chapter begin with the words at that time, which connects it to the 11th chapter. The words connect what is happening. Christ has come in verse, chapter 11, verse 28, and spoken the words that men can come unto Him, that they that are heavy laden and are laborous can take His yoke upon them. The yoke of the Pharisees, the burden that the Pharisees put upon men by the law and man-made righteousness, that's a heavy load. Jesus said, Come to me and learn of me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then the Lord in verse 1 through 13 of Matthew 12 showed His divine authority and claimed Himself to be, in verse 8, the Lord of the Sabbath. He came to fulfill the Sabbath day. He came to set aside man-made ritual and oral teachings that men had added to the fourth commandment. And you would think that men would be thrilled with that. You would think they would rejoice to hear what our Lord said and to see what He did. You would think they would just be glad to be out from under that. But we come to verse 14 this morning, and after our Lord had clarified the Sabbath day and what man could do or not do, that He was Lord of that instead of law and regulation. And even after He had healed the man with the withered hand uh, in verses 10 through 13 on the Sabbath day, after He had done that great act of mercy and compassion and even gave Scripture and questioned whether it was lawful or not and proved that to the Pharisees, after He did all of that, we'll pick up our reading this morning and see how they responded in Matthew 12, 14. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against Him, how they might destroy Him. But when Jesus knew it, He withdrew Himself from thence, and great multitudes followed Him, and He healed them all, and charged them that they should not make Him known, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. The kingdom character of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mentioned on last Lord's Day that chapter 12 will introduce us to increasing conflict and increasing opposition, which will lead to suffering and persecution by not only the Pharisees and the crowds and the world at large, toward our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we see that in the opening verses of Matthew chapter 12. And it's made very clear in the first verse of our text this morning that after our Lord's disciples had plucked corn on the Sabbath and the Pharisees had questioned Jesus and He had explained what they had done and how that related to what David and the priest had done in the Old Testament on the Sabbath, and then after He had healed on the Sabbath, which was lawful, and explained that in His actions and words to the Pharisees, 
The Pharisees went out in verse 14, and instead of rejoicing, they held a council how they might destroy Him. The word destroy there in the text means to utterly kill. That's what the word means. And don't miss the irony here. The legalistic Pharisees who just a few moments ago are accusing Jesus of breaking Sabbath law and in essence are accusing Him of breaking the fourth commandment are now planning a murder which absolutely breaks the sixth commandment. It is it is it's just amazing when you, when you think of the mindset that legalism produces. Dr. Warren Wiersbe said it best in his commentary when he wrote these words about verse number 14. He writes, and I quote, Talk about hardness of heart. Here we witness the sad truth of unrepentant legalism. End quote. He's exactly right. Here are Pharisees. Here are the religious elite of our Lord's day who are absolutely irate because our Lord is breaking their oral traditions, man-made traditions of the Sabbath day. And yet in verse 14, they are planning, they are holding a meeting and planning how to break the sixth commandment and murder the very Son of God. It is in this setting and with this backdrop that Matthew now presents to us Jesus' character. And His character is revealed to us in two ways in the text that I mentioned this morning. First of all, we'll look at verse 14 through 16 at how Jesus' character is revealed in His actions. What does our Lord do? How does He respond? What does our Lord, uh, how does He proceed after He knows that they are plotting against Him to destroy Him? And then if we get that far today, we may or may not, but we'll look at His character in verse 17 revealed through the prophecy of the Old Testament. And that's what Matthew does. Matthew reveals our Lord's character by telling us the actions that He takes after the Pharisees plot to kill Him. And then Matthew will take us back to the Old Testament as he does so often, and he will lift out of Isaiah's prophecy and show us how Jesus is doing exactly what the prophet Isaiah said He would do while here upon this earth. Both of these situations tell us this morning that our Savior is not affected by the winds of what is happening. Our Savior is not affected by the kingdoms of men. Our Savior is not affected by the power or the lack of power of religion. Our Lord is not affected by how men interpret the law of God or how men uh, apply the law of God. Our Lord is not affected by how men accept or reject Him. He came to do the Father's will, and thank God that's exactly what He did. It is our Savior. It is His kingdom character that Matthew is bringing to the forefront. First of all, look with me this morning for a few moments at His character revealed in His actions, verse 14, 15, and 16. First of all, uh, the contrast between Jesus' character and that of the Pharisees is made very obvious to us by Matthew. Matthew has just told us and shown us the character of the Pharisees in the first 13 verses. These men who pretend to be keepers of the law, and yet they really know nothing about the law in the sense that God intended. These men who pretend to be righteous men, but yet show absolutely no mercy for a man who's in the synagogue with a withered right hand, as Luke tells us. These men really have a very little character. We've just witnessed how the character of the Pharisees 
has been shown in their response to Jesus' lordship. They hate it. Jesus has come and said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And the Pharisees hate it because Jesus' kingdom is butting heads with their kingdom. Jesus' spear of rule and authority is butting heads with their spear of rule and authority. And men hated that then, and men still hate that today. Jesus' compassion is being seen uh, in light of the darkness of their hearts in regard to their thinking about this man with the withered hand. Matthew is showing us the great contrast. But he's showing us what Jesus is like. And he's doing that by setting this up beside the response of the Pharisees. The contrast almost leaps off the page. Instead of rejoicing that Jesus is Lord over the Sabbath, instead of saying amen or hallelujah to the fact that Christ has healed a man who had a withered hand in the synagogue, the Bible said they are holding a meeting as to how to destroy them. Luke says it a little more firmly in Luke 6 and 11. He says the Pharisees were filled with madness. He's talking about this particular incident. The word madness means that they were filled with foolishness and they let their foolishness show itself in this anger and rage that is seething within their hearts. They literally hate the Son of God. They literally despise the fact that God has incarnated and God has sent His only begotten Son. And everything that Jesus is representing goes against religious legalism. And men hate Jesus today for that reason. Jesus' kingdom is different from their kingdom. Their kingdom is a religious kingdom. Their kingdom is a kingdom that takes part of the Word of God and adds to it what they want to add to it and then require that every man adhere to what they added to it. It's a rigid and a burdensome and it's a hard kingdom in which to live. And that's why Jesus had just previously said to those listening to them, you don't have to live in that. He said, come to me, all you that are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the same truth applies today. If you're living under the hardness and the burden of sin... And if you're living under the hardness and the burden of self-righteousness, and if you're trying to please God by pleasing what men, uh, by trying to please men by what they say you have to do to please God, Jesus said, come out from under all of that and come to me and I'll give you a life. Come take my yoke upon you and come learn of me. That's what's happening in these verses. Man's kingdom is coming in conflict with Jesus' kingdom. And man responds with anger and rage. And it is with that mindset, keep this in mind now, it is with that mindset that they go in to hold this meeting. These are not people sitting in a meeting room who are contemplating Scripture and what Jesus has done and trying to be loving and sympathetic toward everything involved. These are men who come to a meeting with a heart of hatred and rage and a heart of foolishness, Matthew and Luke tell us. And they've come into this council and it is in that emotional mindset, it is in that theological twist of thinking that they are trying to decide what to do with this man. This man, Jesus, is a threat to their kingdom. I want to say this morning, he's a threat to your kingdom. He's a threat to my kingdom. He's a threat to every kingdom. But on the other hand, he's the answer to your kingdom. He's the answer to my kingdom. He's the answer to every kingdom in the world because it is only his kingdom that will endure forever. 
And Jesus comes and responds in actions. Now these Pharisees had had a bad name for, I guess, about 2,000 years among believers, among Christians. But these men were also well respected in their community. I gave them the benefit of the doubt last week in a few areas, and I'll do the same this morning. They were highly exalted in the eyes of the people, and yet Matthew contrasts their heart and their desire to destroy the Lord Jesus with the heart of the Lord Jesus. Look at their heart in these stories. Their heart is one of legalism. Don't do that. Don't pluck corn on the Sabbath. Their heart is one of hardness. Don't you heal that man on the Sabbath day. Make him wait till, make him wait till tomorrow or the day after. This is the Sabbath. Let, he, let his hand be withered one more day. There's no compassion. There's no heart. There's no love there. And unless you think that Jesus was breaking the law in allowing His disciples to pluck corn or to heal on the Sabbath, He broke no law on either of those. But these men bring a heart to this story that is absolutely full of hatred and indignation. And that's what legalism does to you. Christ's kingdom is in clear contrast to that of the world. Matthew Henry writes, as in the midst of Christ's greatest humiliations, there were proofs of His, of His deity and dignity. So in the midst of His greatest honors, He will give proof of that as well, but also His humility. There is no humility in the Pharisees. Find it anywhere. There's no humility when they see his, his hungry disciples plucking corn. There's no humility when they see a man with a withered hand and Jesus healing there's no humility in verse 14 in that council room as to how they might destroy the Son of God because He is in conflict with their kingdom. Now I cannot think of a better time to be preaching these verses. We are witnessing. We are witnessing in high definition. We are witnessing in color. We are witnessing on the printed page and on our, on our electronic devices. We are witnessing right now. We are witnessing another example of how human kingdoms rise and human kingdoms fall. We are witnessing that. We are witnessing that in the European nations. We are witnessing that in the Soviet areas of our world. We are witnessing that in our own country. We are seeing how human leaders, specific kinds of men and women, seek to build their own kingdom. And I challenge you, I charge you, I encourage you, I exhort you, whenever you look at those things, to not be troubled. I remind you that every king and every kingdom in the Word of God that sought to raise itself against the kingdom of Christ has already fallen or is in the process of falling or will in the days to come absolutely crumble. But the prophet Isaiah said of his kingdom... There shall be no end. And that is what's happening here to a smaller degree. The kingdom of the Pharisees. The religious establishment, if you will. That which man has built under a religious umbrella is about to crumble. And Christ is there in the midst of it to say, as He says to a world watching the day, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I... I alone will give you rest. Think of how many men 
Think of how many of the men and women who lead us today in our country, in our world. Think of how many of them are predisposed to anger and to madness, just like the Pharisees. They're predisposed to arrogance. They have a revolutionary nature about everything they say and do. You say, well, preacher, I see that over in, over in nations beyond ours. You should see that right where you live. It is because the kingdom of men has no promise to stand, yet they will all utterly fail. They will all utterly crumble at some point in time. And Jesus is now bringing that to light in our text. The sad thing is that like the Pharisees, like the Pharaohs, like the Nebuchadnezzars, the Pontius Pilots, the Herods, and all of those who have lived in our world, some of these leaders have the charisma and they have the ability to work groups and crowds into a frenzy. Sadly, we have those leaders not only in politics, but we have them in the pulpit who are doing nothing but preaching their kingdom. They're preaching their kingdom. I'm not preaching my kingdom. I'm preaching His kingdom. It is His. I don't invite you to me. I don't invite you to mine. I don't invite you to ours. I invite you to Him. I invite you to Christ. It is His kingdom. We will be here. We will be gone. Thank God His kingdom will, shall endure. And that is the Christ that Matthew is presenting to us. What have all leaders done? What have all of these people seeking to build their own kingdom, what have they done? They have taken their power and their ability and they've used it to move people. Jesus had power and ability to move people. Now look at verse 14 again. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against Him, how they might destroy Him. But when Jesus knew it, when Jesus knew it, so first of all, His character revealed in His actions the contrast between Jesus and the Pharisees. It's obvious. One has a heart, the other does not. But secondly, notice that Jesus knows. And when He finds out what is happening, He withdraws. He leaves. He withdrew Himself, in verse 15, from fence. He does something that human leaders does not do. And if you'll notice again down in verse 25, in the following, He knew their thoughts. Those people that said he had, that He was Beelzebub, prince of the devils. Could I remind you of this about our Savior, about our Lord? He is omniscient and He knows and He knew in this situation. Jesus Christ had the power to move people. Verse 15 could have read, but when Jesus knew it, He drew the crowds together and encouraged them to charge the capital. It could read that when Jesus knew it, He called the crowds together and said, Stone the Pharisees. He had the power to do that. At this particular time, church, He had multitudes of people following Him. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Verse 15 said, great multitudes followed Him. He had multitudes of people following Him. Jesus could have used His influence. He could have used His power as earthly men do still today. 
He could have encouraged them to push for their rights. He could have encouraged them and worked them up in a frenzy and told them to burn the businesses of the Pharisees, protest the unfairness. And if you think there wasn't some among his closest disciples that would have done that, you find Peter still in the garden ready to whack off heads for the glory of God. Simon the Zealot was still present with this group of people. Our Lord could have taken His authority and His ability, His power and His influence over these people. He could have worked them up into a frenzy and had them go out and establish His kingdom. But thank God His kingdom is not established like that. His kingdom is not created like that. His kingdom is not built like that. And again, he is so different from everyone else. What did he do? He done something you'll never see men who build their human kingdom do. He withdrew himself. The Pharisees will not withdraw. They will, you'll see them all the way until they stick a spear in his side and put a crown of thorns on his head and mock him and spit upon him. They'll be right there with him. And even after the resurrection, they will attack his apostles. And they are still with us today. Christ's kingdom is not pro progressed. It is not promoted in the same way that those of this world is promoted. He's different. And thank God I'm glad He is. He's the Son of God. The Son of Man. Jesus' disciples would have gladly fought and died to have overthrown Rome. But Christ chose to build His kingdom a different way. And He done it by withdrawing. It said in verse 15, He knew what the Pharisees were planning. And that's because He's omniscient. He knows all things. Wouldn't you like to know what's going on in the minds of, well maybe you wouldn't, of the politicians and the world leaders today, well, I guarantee you this, He knows. Wouldn't you like to know what's going on in the minds of religious leaders today? Well, the Lord knows. But His withdrawal speaks volumes of His character. His withdrawal speaks volumes of His purpose. His withdrawal speaks volumes of the type of kingdom that He is building. I say to you again, Jesus had a large enough following that He could have stirred up an insurrection right here had He chosen to do that. But He has chosen not to do that because John 18, 36, Jesus said when He spoke to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If any kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Jesus said even to Pilate, He said, My kingdom is not of this world. He said, If it was, I would have those following me to fight for my kingdom. His kingdom will not come by fighting. His kingdom will not come by overthrowing governments. His kingdom will not come by protesting for fairness and equal rights. His kingdom will come when He dies, when He is buried, when He rises again and conquers through the plan of God salvation for all who will believe. You say, when I read over in red, yes, those days will come. But He is bringing His kingdom in through His finished work of salvation. Most men who seek to build their own kingdom today, when somebody holds a counsel against them, they go on the attack. When they are confronted or when they are criticized, they go on the attack. 
You look at politicians. You look on both sides. Whatever party you're party to, you look at them. When they go, when somebody attacks them, they go on the attack. Our nation today is divided right smack down the middle. And one side attacks the other, and the other side attacks this. And if Christians aren't careful, we get caught up in that temporary ungodly mess. I want to remind you, we are children, those of us who are saved by God's grace, first and foremost, we are children of His kingdom, and His kingdom is not ushered in by that type of living any more than the Pharisees was doing. His kingdom is not of this world. If the kingdoms of this world, if men who run them, if they find out they have an enemy, they attack them. Or somebody who disagrees with them, they expose them. They purge them if necessary. If possible, they eliminate them. My dad said to me yesterday, he's been listening to a lot of people talk for his, at his assisted living, and we got in the car yesterday, and he starts telling me people that we need to kill. He just starts naming them. I said, Dad, where are you, uh, what, who you want? And man, he had his list of who needed to be killed, who needed to be shot. He said, Dad, get rid of it. And I think you're watching way too much news, way too much news. Jesus could have said to Peter, take off that Pharisee's head right there. He could have said to Simon the Zealot, get a crowd and go down in the street and burn a few businesses these Pharisees own so they'll treat us properly. And I promise you, them guys would have been right in line like a lot of professing Christians jump on those bandwagons today. Well, you've got to decide which kingdom you're going to live for. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world he meant that His kingdom is not connected to any, any political or national entities. He meant that His kingdom does not have its origin in this evil world system. And our system is in rebellion toward God. Jesus said, if my kingdom were of this world, I would have fought. But what does He do? He withdraws. He withdraws. Messiah's kingdom does not originate in the efforts of man, nor does it endure through the efforts of man. His kingdom endures no matter what man does. Why? It's His kingdom. Just like the Sabbath is His. He's Lord of that. He's Lord of His kingdom. Well, preacher, I want to fight for it. Well, not for His kingdom. His kingdom endures because of Him. And He responds and reacts to this whole scenario totally different from how men did in His day and how men do in our day. He just withdraws. This is interesting. There was actually another preacher who I was listening to that called my attention to this. Otherwise, I would have probably read, just read over it. He says in verse 15, But when Jesus knew, He withdrew Himself from thence. This preacher said, do you know how many times Jesus withdrew himself? He said, study that out. I don't know if he meant for anybody to do that or not, but I did. Matthew 4, verse number 12, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison. Now listen, our Lord, John the Baptist and our Lord were closer. I mean, you're talking Jonathan and David, Elijah and Elijah. John the Baptist and our Lord, they were close. I mean, very close. Six months apart, coming into the world. I mean, they had a unique relationship. John Baptist, forerunner of our Lord. And then John giving up his ministry to Jesus. He loved John Baptist. John Baptist loved Jesus. And in Matthew 4, 12, when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, 
You know what he would have done, what our Lord would have done had he been a ruler like men today? He would have got some people together and went and got John out of jail. But your Bible says in Matthew 4, 12, that when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he departed. He withdrew himself into Galilee. He didn't fight that fight. That was not his fight to fight. God would take care of John Baptist, and God would take care of him. And our Lord, in His humility, our Lord, in His commitment to doing the Father's will, He withdrew. You better be glad He didn't go in there and fight for John to get out of prison, because if He had, it would have been against the Father's plan. Be careful what you want the Lord to do. Be careful what you ask the Lord to do. We should pray as we're taught, Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. My will be done. That's what this is about, and that's what our Lord is doing. When John Baptist was beheaded in Matthew 14, 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he departed and withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. They've not only put his best friend in prison, now they've took off his best friend's head. What did he do? Did he go on the attack? No, he departed into a solitary place. John 8, 59. They're wanting to stone our Lord. They pick up stones to stone Him. But John tells us He hid Himself, slipping away or going out. He went out. He departed from the temple grounds. He didn't stand there and defy them. He didn't stand there and fight them. But He went away. John 12, 36, when the Greeks are coming to see him and talk to him and he's telling them he's the light of the world and all of this theological discourse is going on. It says when he had finished speaking, he left and hid himself from them. He withdrew. Look at the character of our Lord. That's what Matthew is presenting. Look at the character of your Savior. Instead of responding to the world like the Pharisees did, instead of responding to the law of God like the Pharisees did, our Lord has a character that is absolutely committed and determined to do the will of the Heavenly Father. And you and I should have that same desire to do our Father's will. Not only did Jesus withdraw when men opposed Him, but here's the one that thrills me. Our Lord withdrew when men tried to exalt Him. In John 6, 15, do you remember after He fed the 5,000, He was so popular. If you don't think that'll bring popularity, you go tomorrow and buy 5,000 Chick-fil-A sandwiches and pass them out. You'll be popular too. I mean, really. I mean, the crowds are all over Him. And John 6, 15 said, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make Him king, withdrew Himself or departed out to a mountain. Our Lord not only withdrew Himself when men opposed Him, but our Lord withdrew Himself when men tried to exalt Him. I say, oh, what a Savior. He would not, He would not be destroyed until the timing of the Father was right for Him to die. And He would not be exalted until His hour had come. He would not be lured into any of that by the kingdoms of this world and by the things that were happening and the pressures and the influences. He came as the servant of God. He came to do the Father's will. And church, we are His disciples. We are His followers. And may we not be influenced or intimidated by the kingdoms of this world, but may we continue to be who we are today and that are sinners saved by grace. His disciples, His servants, who are helping to build His kingdom through the preaching and teaching 
of the gospel. Now do not take his withdrawals as a sign of fear or weakness. You say, you may be thinking, I hope you didn't, but you may be thinking, well, maybe Jesus didn't have enough to outnumber them, or maybe, maybe he was fearful of these Pharisees, or maybe he's weak. Don't think that for a moment. Do you remember in John 18 when they came to arrest him in the garden? You remember that? And those men had, men had weapons and lanterns and spears. You remember that story? And he stands right there and uh, asks them, he said, who are you seeking? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. You remember, remember what he said? He said, I am he. His hour had come. Our Lord's not afraid. Our Lord could have called 10,000 angels even at his crucifixion. Our Lord back there when they arrested John could have done, he could have sent an angel to let John out of prison just like it happened for Peter in the book of Acts or just like the angel in the days of Hezekiah. He could have done any of that. But the character of our Lord is... He's a servant, and he came to do the Father's will. And that's exactly what he did. You also remember when he spoke to them in the garden, he didn't have to have a spear or sword. His word, they fell flat on their, flat on their back whenever he spoke to them. Do you not think today if our Lord wanted to, he could say whatever he needed to say, and everything would be just like he wanted it to be? Well, I'm going to tell you this, he already has said it. And it's written right here in your Bible. And thank God it will be. Now, it may not be at 6 o'clock this evening like you're wanting. And there may not be a bunch of dead men like my dad's planning on. But I will tell you this. Whenever that time comes, don't worry. Our Lord will take care of it. Until then, you and I live by faith and we rejoice that we're serving one who is a servant of the Heavenly Father. Don't take His warnings, these withdrawals, as a sign of weakness. Look at verse 15. What did Jesus do? What did He do? Whenever men were opposing him and enemies were plotting to kill him. I, don't, I can't even think what I would do even if I found out that six men met this evening uh, to talk about uh, meeting with me uh, as about uh, and asking me to go somewhere else to be pastor. I don't, I don't know what, I, what I'd do. I know. First thing I'd probably do is cry and then I'd do something else. I don't know. They're meeting to plot against our Lord and he knows it. He knows it. Jesus knew it. What does he do? It says that He heals the multitudes that are following Him. Preacher, what do we do? What do we do in these days when the kingdoms of, kingdoms of men are rising up? What do we do in our world where everything's divided and everything's like fight for this and fight for that and people telling me I should be doing this and I should be doing that? What do we do? We do the ministry that Christ left us here to do. We share the gospel with a lost and a dying world. We let our light so shine before others. We're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. What did our Lord do? They're holding a meeting to murder Him. And what does He do? He's out healing people. He's out ministering to people. Same thing He was doing prior to their meeting. He was touching lives, changing lives. He was living the Word of God and the will of God. And what is He doing after the council has met? He continues to do that. What was the church doing before this government was in power? What does the church do now that this government is in power? Preachers pull their hair out. They go crazy. We've got to change ministry. We've got to focus on this and focus on that. Our Lord didn't change any of that. He just kept doing what the Father sent Him to do. Church, what do we do? We keep doing what the Father sent us here to do. That is to love Him, to worship Him, to serve Him, to share His gospel with a lost world. Well, preacher, 
We think you ought to get political. Ain't going to happen. Preacher, we think you ought to get economical. Isn't going to happen. When politics is in the text, I'll preach it. When the economy's in the text, I'll preach it. Other to then, we're going to preach the Word of God and do what our Lord did, and that is continue to minister and do exactly what He said do until He changes the situation. He healed and showed mercy and compassion to those in need. His withdrawal was an act of self-denial and humility. He had been in the limelight. He had been drawing, as I said, great attention and there were people gathered around him. But you know what he does when the light gets on him? And you know what he does when the subject is about him? And you see what he does whenever everybody's listening? To, do you see what he does? Same thing he did in all them other texts I read. He goes out into these solitary places. And he goes out from thence in verse 15. He goes out from the place where all of that, all of that turmoil and activity is. And he looks around at that, the multitude of people that are, that are hurting. With all the major conflicts that's going on in the world today, do you know there are people sitting right here? You will pass them on the way home today as I passed them on the way here this morning. Men and women laying up against fences at businesses, sleeping with a piece of cardboard as they do here on our grounds occasionally. There are people who need the gospel and people who need the Lord. And our ministry is not to solve the war. And our ministry is not to solve the world's problems. Our ministry is to minister as He commanded us. And know that our commander-in-chief, thank God, He will take care of the kingdom problems. With us or without us. What a powerful word that should be to us this morning. Not only in our personal lives, but also in the life of the church. Living for Christ and ministering for Christ. It's not in the limelight, it's often in the obscure places. And it's not about my kingdom and your kingdom, it's about the Father's kingdom and His will. And furthermore, the people who oppose the work of the Lord, as these Pharisees were, and even the enemies of the gospel that live in the day that you and I live, we learn from Christ that we cannot withdraw to inactivity. We must keep ministering. I saw on a mission page that was sent to me through the, through the Baptist, I saw that, I think, yesterday or day before yesterday, a Christian church that is built almost on the border of Ukraine and Russia, down uh, a little bit in another little area. The name of the area is, is different, and it was built there a couple decades ago when another war had raged. And Christian brothers and sisters, Christian men who were fighting on both sides, whenever the war and the fighting would cease, would come to that little chapel and pray with each other and pray one for another. You can't get Christian people in America, which professes to be a Christian nation, to even pray with people who are of a different political party. It is sad. We've lost focus of our ministry. Jesus reveals His heart. His actions reveal His heart. Our actions reveal our heart. Our actions tell who we are. Do our actions say that we are seeking first the kingdom and His righteousness? Or does it say we're seeking our kingdom and our righteousness? Does our actions show that we're serving God or serving man? 
This passage is calling us to live according with our profession and reminding us that what our hearts have within them will be reflected in what we love and in what we do. And that's what Jesus did. I look at verse 14 and 15 and I say, if this had even been anywhere near done to me, I don't know that I would have continued to minister. But I do know that's what God has called us to do as Christians. And then as today He healed them all. I mean, if you did that today, first thing you do is you go on Facebook, set up your own web page, and you tell everybody how good you are in ministry. Not our Lord. He charged them that they should not make Him known. And the reason He said you're not to make me known is so I can fulfill the prophecy about me. Because you're not to be looking at just what I'm doing. You're to be looking at why I'm doing it and the will of God in doing it. I don't have time this morning to deal with the prophecy. We'll look at that, Lord willing, next week. But Matthew takes us to the prophecy of Isaiah. But I do want to close with verse 18. I'll mention it more next week, Lord willing. Behold my servant. That's where it's at. The word behold there is God saying in prophecy to Isaiah, Look at my son. Focus on him. Look at Jesus. Focus on him. Could I say to this church this morning, in a world where everything has got your attention, and even before five minutes after I'm done today, many of you will by habit, others of you by addiction, some just carelessly, you will go to some social media outlet to see and focus on something that you've had difficulty living without for the last 45 minutes. You will have to have that. The prophecy said, Behold my servant. Take a look at Jesus. Now if you've just got to do this or this, do this. And focus on my servant. If you've got to figure out why kingdoms are like they are, and if you've got to figure out why America's like it is, focus on the king and his kingdom. Now, if you're unsaved and you don't know Christ, this is all strange to you. And I understand you can't because you don't know how. But if you're a child of God, focus on his kingdom. Christ's entire ministry, everything he did was prophesied 600 years before he was born by the prophet Isaiah. And Lord willing, we'll look at that next Sunday. I want to say this in closing. It's easy to be influenced by worldly leaders and powerful people, especially when we see their names daily and watch them build their earthly kingdoms and their empires. Church, don't be intimidated by political figures who rise for a while and then they fall for a while. They have their few minutes of fame and glory. They pale and then they come back. Everyone that has been intimidated by those kind of men and women must understand those men and women live and those men and women die. And many of them would not even be remembered if man had not made a bronze statue in their memory. Pontius Pilate would not even be in history books if it wasn't for what Jesus said about him in the Scripture. Pontius Pilate, had no, outside of what Jesus said, he'd have been nothing more than an official that lived for a while. Nobody would even have known what his name was. 
Don't be intimidated by worldly leaders and supposedly powerful people. But then let's get closer to home. Don't be intimidated by a preacher because he's popular, because he's charismatic or authoritative, or because anytime something happens in the world, he can speak to it. And people believe him. Jesus had authority and power. He chose not to speak. He chose to withdraw. Because if you wrap your life up in these men, either political or spiritual, you will rise or fall with them. What do I say to you? Focus on your Savior. Listen to what He said. Look to Him. The church at Corinth, you just adult class just studied that. The church at Corinth, they tried to hook up with preachers, and look what it resulted in. Division in the church. As much as Jesus loved John Baptist and John loved Jesus, listen to what John Baptist said about Jesus. John 3.30 He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly. And speaketh of the earth, he that cometh from heaven is above all. That's John talking about Jesus. Hear carefully what I'm about to say and give me an opportunity to withdraw before you stone me. There is a difference between the United States of America and the kingdom of heaven. I want to say that again. There is a difference between the United States of America and the kingdom of heaven. They are two different things, and they are not closely related. Thank God we still have a few Christian men and women in leadership in our country, but very, very few. I want to remind you where America is headed and where the kingdom of heaven is headed are in two different directions, totally. And I've said to you numerous times while preaching through Matthew, at some point you're going to have to decide which kingdom you're living for. That does not mean that I'm not patriotic. It does not mean that I, love, that I do not love where I am. That's not what that means. It means, as Paul told the Philippians in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. Christ shows that so clearly in our text this morning. When men are out to destroy Him, and He could have, by His own authority and power, done a lot of things, He chose to keep ministering, to keep loving, to keep healing, to keep showing compassion. The last thing that any Bible-believing New Testament church wants to be involved in are things unrelated to Christ and His kingdom. That's hard for us because we have so connected our earthly citizenship with our heavenly. But as we pray for our world this morning, our nation, our state, our city, our county, and even our church, and even our families, let's remember Christ's kingdom will endure forever. America, North Carolina, Lenore, Caldwell County, and even the little community where I live down around Oak Hill will not. 
endure forever. But of His kingdom, there shall be no end. Father, we thank You this morning that You are the servant of God. Lord, I thank You this morning that when You had opportunity to rally Your followers, to put them on the offensive against Your enemies, to fight for Your reputation, to fight for Your identity and credibility, Lord, You chose not to do that because You came to establish a different kingdom. And Lord, I want to thank You for those of us sitting here this morning who came into this world a part of this kingdom of darkness. Good citizens, good neighbors, we were people, but yet still a part of a kingdom that will not endure. And Lord, You birthed, birthed us into Your kingdom and gave us new life. Lord, we do pray for our world around us. We pray for all the things that are so troubling. We pray, Father, that You would help us. We pray that You would, Lord, heal us physically and spiritually. We pray, Father, You would draw us to You. We pray, Father, that the gospel would reach where it's sent out to reach, that lives would be changed. And Father, while we live here and while we're thankful and grateful for all the freedoms and all the things we enjoy, Lord, help us to focus upon You and remember that we're not here. We're not here to fight for temporal things. We're here, Father, to spread the message, to be a witness. We're not here to take sides. But Lord, as as you said in the book of Joshua, you are the side. Lord, you're the captain of our salvation, and you're in charge of it all. Remind us of that. Lord, help us to be good citizens of this physical kingdom that we live in. Help us, Lord, to be biblical citizens of the heavenly kingdom and give us wisdom to be able to make that discernment. Thank you again for who you are, and we worship you this morning and give you glory. We pray now you'd help us take these truths and may you be pleased to work them in our hearts to your glory and honor and help this church and all of us today. May we never connect our roots to anyone other than Christ. And may we not be intimidated by men, whether they're in political platforms or behind pulpits. May we never, never follow those who put the limelight on themselves. But, oh God, May we follow He who withdrew. May we follow He who departed. May we follow He who went into a solitary place because we know it is Christ who will lead us to the kingdom. We thank You and we praise You for it. In Jesus' name, Amen.